You're listening to the Personal Profitability Podcast, where you'll learn how to earn income, live better, and put your money to work for you. Here's your guide on your path to personal profitability, Eric Rosenberg. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome back to the Personal Profitability Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Eric Rosenberg. And I'm very excited to have a special guest on. And this guest, you know, I've recorded now. I'm, I'm on the uh, I'm on the West Coast. I've recorded with some folks on the East Coast. So that's a three hour time difference. This is our biggest time difference yet. We've recorded. It's uh, 10:30 in the morning my time, but 6:30 on the other side of the pond in jolly old England. And my friend Adam Piplica is on the line with us. Say hello to everyone, Adam. Hello. I'm really excited to be here. So um, before we, we get into the meat of it, I have to share. So when I was in uh, – a few weeks ago, I was in London, I guess now a month or so ago, and um, I, I got to see Adam. He invited me to a uh, finance blogger meetup in London, which was so cool. I was the uh, the only Yankee allowed on the premises, the only American. <laughs> but um, also on that trip, I got these really, really cool socks. There's a store. I have always thought it was pronounced Charles Turwit, but my friend who um, – Works on the equivalent of Wall Street for England over on the uh, in the business district there. He's in, in law- he's a lawyer there. He told me it's actually Charles Tewitt. So so I apologize for for having mispronounced it for so long. But I went to the store. It is one of my absolute favorite stores for men's clothing. I don't wear a lot of women's clothing. <laughs> but <laughs> I went to the store and I picked up these sweet Union Jack socks, which the Union Jack is the uh, the logo on the British flag. So I'm wearing my Union Jack socks right now in honor of recording with someone in uh, in England. So I, I just wanted I to share you. that. <laughs> I love that you've, you've got it all on theme. Uh, <laughs> I'm not wearing American socks, but... Uh, <laughs> I, I don't own out. American flag socks. I only own British flag <laughs> socks. Maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe I need to, to move over to London or something. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm enjoying living on the beach. But uh, to get on to what we were really here to talk about is, uh, is profitability topics like always. And Adam, I met a few years ago in Denver. He came out for FinCon when it was in my hometown, um, my old hometown now in, in Colorado. And we've stayed in touch over the last, uh, it's been four or five years, just about. And Adam is a really genuine, nice guy. He's very, um, he's been very transparent with his journey. And what brought him to FinCon in the beginning was he has a site called Magical Penny, but he then went on and created a whole finance career. So, Let's dive in and talk about the genesis of it all. Where did the idea for Magical Penny come from? Well, thanks, Eric, for having me on here. I'm quite excited because I started Magical Penny over here in in England because I was reading a lot of American websites, hearing all about 401ks and Roth IRAs and getting excited. And then I went to... I don't think many people get all that excited about (laughs) 401ks, but... But there, there are a few of us. <laughs> it, it, it was all fantasy at first because I first started getting interested in the stock market and investing when I had no money whatsoever when I was at college. And I just couldn't wait to start my new job. And I, I'd had it all planned out. I was going to save and in, start investing. And I just needed that first paycheck to come. So it was exciting to me because of just the potential. Because um, everyone was saying, oh, if you start young, and start saving and investing, then give it 30, 40 years. And the power of compound interest can result in a lot of wealth being generated. So I just couldn't wait to get started. So 
I graduated university in 2007 and you and promptly got a job and started investing. And we all know what happened in 2007 to 2008, don't we? Yeah, so uh, around 2007, it was it was around the same time I actually started my blog. It was then Narrow Bridge Finance, now called Personal Profitability. But at that time, you know, every, everyone was freaking out. The mortgage market was collapsing. Everyone was saying the world was going to go into a global economic recession. The stock market tanked. And I, I don't know if the post is still there. I've deleted a lot of old posts that aren't as good as the ones today. But I actually said, when the stock market's down like now and everyone's freaking out, this is the best time to buy stocks. But I know emotionally that um doesn't always make sense and for a new investor someone who had just you know started your first job and just started investing that's probably not the first thing that comes to mind so what did you do when that all when the market exploded <laughs> well eric you know that i'm weird so i actually that exactly was what came to mind it was a great buying opportunity i'd been reading all the all the blogs and websites online and no, I knew exactly what to do. So when it actually happened, I thought, hey, this is this is actually happening. And it's I've got skin in the game as well. So I did actually just keep on investing as usual. And it was quite exciting because it actually meant that the stock market news was it was in the news a lot more than it previously was. So when I was telling all my friends about my investing journey, I think when I first started, people weren't really that interested. But as 2008 happened and 2009 happened and it, the markets were still a, a real talking point, my friends started getting more and more interested in it. And that's kind of what inspired me to to start the blog because I was telling people about what I was doing and about the investments and and telling people this is the time to start. And I thought, no, let's start my own blog and be able to reach more people and just share my message. So that's how Magical Penny happened. And the name Magical Penny comes from a song that I used to sing when I was very small um, called Love is Like a Magic Penny. Hold it tight, you won't have any. Give or share it and you'll have so many. They'll roll all over the floor. Love is something if you give it away, you end up having more. So I thought that really does describe compound interest and having so many pennies to roll all over the floor so I thought it was quite a fun name and I couldn't get magicpenny.com but I could get magicalpenny.com so I registered the domain and the rest is history and here we are <laughs> so uh <laughs> when uh, so I, what was your first job out of when you finished uh, at the university did you know you were going to go into a financial line of work or did that happen because of the website or what was the, uh, well, the process there I did a history and politics degree, so it wasn't directly applicable to any job, really. <laughs> but I knew I was interested in marketing and writing. And I'd had a part-time job while I was at university working for a market research company that used to do research for all sorts of different companies, from Vodafone and um, the mobile phone company to a bread manufacturer to a power company. We used to check on how um, that advertising was performing. So I just thought it was interesting because they worked with big brands and did lots of exciting projects. So I did that um, and I worked in the quantitative side of it. So very numbers driven. I would never say that numbers were an absolute passion of mine, but I really 
had a healthy respect for numbers. <laughs> so I was quite pleased to work in a numerical quantitative side, looking at the looking at the research data and finding the stories within that data. And I enjoyed it because it had the the mix of in marketing and numbers and the story within the data. And I enjoyed it for a, a few years and I was doing Magical Penny on the side um, each night. I wanted to get my creative outlet more shown. So um, it was really good to have to juggle both those things. Uh, funny story, at one point I was working late and I, I posted on Facebook that I was burning the candle at both ends and getting really excited about all this opportunity and things I could do and creativity. And then in the morning I slept in and was late for work. <laughs> and uh, I felt I was really embarrassed. And one person put a comment by saying, Adam, in order to burn the candle at both ends, you have to actually wake up in the morning. <laughs> um, but it just showed that I was, I was really, <laughs> I was just excited about both my work and I was excited about this new online aspect to it when I was writing and sharing about investing and I started getting quite a lot of traffic quite early on just by thinking of interesting angles um, my most popular article that kind of put me on the map so to speak was how I compared saving money to how people on subway sandwiches persuade customers to have more cheese on their sandwiches. Hmm. The, the point of the message was you need to assume that you want the cheese. So they don't say, they don't say, would you like any cheese at the end? Or um, they, they just assume they have the cheese in their hands and they're about to put the cheese on the sandwich and they go, you're having cheese with this, right? And people, because it, they've made it seem automatic or there's an assumption that they want cheese. I love cheese. Then, who or, doesn't like cheese? More likely, or sorry, lactose more likely than people. Not, you're going to choose the cheese on your Subway sandwich. And I thought that's exactly the same with money. You need to make it automatic. You need to have an assumption that, of course, you're going to be saving money. You should save first, not save what's left at the end of the month. Save first. And because I, <laughs> I had that cheese story, and yes, Americans love their cheese, it was quite a hit um, in America, and I got quite a lot of traffic, and it put me on the map. So... You know, it, my, was a, uh, it was a fun journey. My aunt and uncle and one of my cousins all went to the University of Wisconsin. And Wisconsin, as any American would know, is, is famous for its Wisconsin cheddar. So we have uh, some cheeseheads <laughs> in the family. But there's actually a uh, an NFL football team, the Green Bay Packers, that people wear cheese hats to go to the game. Cause they're, they're so dedicated <laughs> to, the, to the cause. That's why the, where the cheesehead comes from. But... I don't like the Packers. I like the Vikings, which is one state over. That's where I was born. But that's a, that's a story for another day. We don't need to talk about American football. <laughs> I do like that there was the, the cheese element where people refer to money as cheese as well, don't they? Like, I'm making cheddar. Yeah. So uh, it had it had a lot of different angles to that. But the key takeaway was I wanted to encourage people to make saving automatic. I didn't want them to think that they could only save money once all their other bills have been paid. And the fact that if you make the commitment to save money and earn extra money and put that towards saving and investing, then it can have a real impact. So I was excited about being able to share that message and I was living proof. So then you're working in this, uh, you know, quantitative driven marketing type role 
when did you decide I'm going to walk away from that and become a financial advisor and help people meet those goals? So I, first of all, just, I didn't want to be a financial advisor at first. I was really happy about what I was doing and I was sharing sharing my message with other people about how to get started but I was really nervous about telling people what to do I was mostly just in just just saying this is what I did obviously I don't know your circumstances and I'm not a financial advisor but this is what I do and then more people would email me and say what would you do here and I'd say well I'm not a financial advisor but I would do this and then I thought why aren't I a financial advisor I had decided that I wanted to work more with online publishing and websites and things because I had started gaining getting revenue from the websites with writing and people wanting to link to them and consulting as well people wanting to grow their websites and they wanted to hear what I'd done and how I'd grow it because I was always really interested in that marketing side Mm -hmm. so I actually left my job to just be a blogger essentially and that was a that was great but there was something about I just felt limited in a way. I was interested in this, in the marketing side and the writing side, but I wanted something behind that. I wanted a little bit more substance. I wanted to be able to help people more. And I felt after meeting financial advisors at FinCon, the conference where we met, they inspired me that not only were they making money from their, from their blogs and from their websites and through writing and by being creative, but they were also using their websites to reach potential clients and then take them a step further, much more than just helping people by sharing an article or a strategy. They could take them by the hand and invest because I realized that even though my friends who I was telling about, they had the information, I'd given people the information on my website. Some people with all the information in the world, they don't take the next step. They don't start investing and they don't they don't know where to start and you can have information overload. And I felt if I was a financial advisor, I could, I could take people by the hand and I could take people to a next level in a way that you can't do with a blog. So I decided I'm going to be a financial advisor and I contacted financial advising companies and thought that with my skill set, my, the quantitative background I had and with my website and all that, things I was doing I thought of course they're going to take me on and then they didn't and that was a really humbling experience because I had all these people who I was asking for um, a position and they were either too busy or I didn't have the uh, requisite qualification to justify why they should take me on so it was really quite humbling because I felt like I'd been quite successful in in both my career up to that point and with my website and I realized actually I needed to prove in the British context to study for the British qualification of a diploma in financial planning and it was quite funny it was quite funny because I actually knew more about US tax law and 401ks Roth IRAs than I did about the British system. It's funny we (laughs) Um, had um are actually just the last the last guest on this show is uh, Jason Vitug, and uh, his site is Frugal, and he had a, a similar thing though not you know it wasn't um, financial advisors not wanting to to work with him, but he was trying to 
you know, get out there and really grow his online business. And people said, well, are you really an expert if you don't have a book under your name? So he wrote a book to get published so people would recognize him as an expert. And in your case, you, you know, went and got your, you know, your qualifications, your degree. So it's a, uh, it's an interesting theme to see come up multiple times in a row. Yeah, it's it's funny though, isn't it? Because we're just looking for credibility cues. Either if if it's someone who's got an MBA or they've got the degree or they've got this diploma, as I did, we're looking for it when it doesn't. You don't necessarily need it in a way. You do need it from a regulatory point of view, and I'm glad I got it. But I feel like it's funny that we have to have these these cues, these shorthands, these that just give people a little bit more credibility but it's actually I, a, uh or the the legal perspective is interesting also so, you know i have i have an mba i have two finance degrees and sometimes i talk to people who um have gotten into the investment business and they you know they, they might have gotten it let's say an english degree or a history degree not to pick on you with your history degree but they um <laughs> you know they have something totally unrelated to investments at all they went through and got their series seven or series nine, series 11, whatever the, the licenses that they needed to become a, a registered financial advisor to be able to give advice. And I don't have that. So I'm allowed to tell people, oh, you, you should invest in a low fee S&P 500 index fund, but I'm not allowed to say which fund they should invest in, even though I probably have better credentials for my education than the people who went and got the license. It's just, it's funny, we have these very uh, rigid rules about what makes someone qualified and what doesn't. And um, sometimes they, they seem a bit arbitrary. And I actually met at that blogger conference event in London that we, um, that we met recently when you came over. I actually met someone who had done the complete opposite route to me. And we'd, we'd, we'd both <laughs> crossed over and, and gone to the other side. He was a financial advisor and helping people and then started a website and he felt he was able to provide a lot more value and he got a lot more fulfillment out of the website side so he decided to move from being a financial advisor to just being a full-time blogger and i've gone <laughs> from being a full-time blogger to being a financial advisor well not quite yet but i've i'm academically qualified enough to be it and that's the path that i'm I'm going for so yes, the grass is always greener we'll, <laughs> we'll see if, if you guys greener, cross but... back or, or we'll see what happens there in, in the future I'm curious <laughs> <laughs> anyway so um so what was that process like getting those credentials I know they're they're in both both the US and the UK there's you know huge tests and a lot of studying and a lot of practice you had you know, left your job, you were working for yourself, and then we're like, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to start studying and working. What was that like? It, if, in all honesty, it was, it was a low point in my life because I was – the thing with running your own business is when you're not working and not developing on that, you're not, you're not earning. And so I felt like it was a double, a double hit on my, on my finances, on my life really because – the time that I was spent studying, I wasn't spent earning money in other ways. And I'm glad I went through it, though, because it did reinforce it. It, it didn't reinforce my um, choice that I wanted to do it. It made me really want it. And also, it was a perfect opportunity to prove the power of having a savings account and having the investments, because 
you never know when you might need it. People talk about an emergency fund and when it rains and things. And the fact that I'd built up a cash cushion of savings over the years, I thought I was saving for when I was old and gray. But actually, as it turned out, I was saving to allow me to make this transition a little bit more smoothly than I, than I otherwise would have been able to do. I and, felt the same way when I left my you know, full-time job. Not even, I guess now it's uh, now uh, two months ago and, and change. <laughs> I left my job yeah. and um, it, was, it was the same thing. I knew it. there was no way I was going to be able to leave any kind of job like that if I didn't have a significant safety net. So uh, when we, we actually sold our house in Portland and, and did well selling our house there, we made 20% on it, which was great. And um, did that the same time we... I left the job and we moved down to California. So not only did I have my emergency fund and other additional savings, which I haven't had to tap into, knocking on wood that I won't have to. Uh, oh, my dog just thought someone knocked at the front door. That was just me, Yogi. That was not the front door. Um, so yeah, that was, uh, you know, it was nice to have that. But then selling the house also, I had, you know, multiple years worth of income saved up there that you know, if all else fails, I, I knew I'd be okay. So having a cushion like that, it um, it can really allow you to change your life when you want to change your life and not it just get, feel chained to whatever you were doing before. It gives you a confidence that you can't really describe, but it still was it still was a difficult journey. And I kept on. There were six exams in total that I needed to complete to get this diploma, which seemed to be the benchmark for um, moving into the profession. And I, after each exam that I, um, I studied, I did it in about a month and a half each exam um, for the first mm-hmm. first few. And with each exam, I emailed out to my contacts, my target places where I wanted to work and told them that I'd passed this exam and I was that much more close to getting my diploma. And it was actually um, a face-to-face contact when I went to a conference that... I met someone who was in my local area and explained my story and my journey. And he gave me a chance. Um, he's a he's a chartered and certified financial planner. And I was just so grateful after having quite a lot of rejection and people saying that they weren't sure or wait until you've got the, the diploma. And I actually was only halfway through my diploma when I was given that opportunity to start with him. And I could... I could immediately give value in terms of the the writing side and I started writing on the website and I wrote articles that he was putting out in local newspapers and I could help develop the website whereas he could I he could also introduce me to the to the actual practical side of financial planning and getting an, an insight into the administration and the and the power planning side the the technical bits that he was doing for his clients so that was how i you know there's i know a lot of people especially with uh you know the economy we were just talking about you know there's a lot of young people especially who have trouble finding a job and they're out there hustling and talking to people and they get rejection after rejection it's the same story it's it's easy to get discouraged and um honestly but it only takes one person to say yes and everything turns around and you are a perfect example of that with that (laughs) Well, as as I was going through this, I kept on thinking all these bad things. I was like, this is going to be a really super inspiring story when it eventually does work out. Because <laughs> I, I I didn't give myself an, any option. I, I, I'd backed myself into a corner and 
everyone knew what I was doing and I knew what I was doing and I wasn't going to change my mind. It was only a matter of time. But an important thing that I've already mentioned, but I'm going to reiterate this. We're of this internet generation and all my online success is, is great. And the fact that I I know you and you're over in America and I have all these friends and the internet is an amazing thing, but it it's going to make me sound old now, but is, <laughs> is it, old, old man, my, Adam, I, I had no success until I actually went face to face. So it's not like the internet has replaced face to face, real on the ground relationships. I admittedly, oh, I got, a, I got a position at the conference through Twitter I, uh, I reached out to the conference organizer and said, are there any student tickets to this financial advising conference? Because I'm I'm on a budget. And he allowed me to come as my guest. He's called um, Brett Davidson. And he's a he's a consultant for financial advisors on helping them build their financial planning practice. And he allowed me to go f- as his guest to this event in London. But I still had to get my train down to London and walk into a room full of financial advisors. And I was just a had zero experience in the financial services sector and and then I'm um, was introduced to who would eventually be my boss who who believed in me and gave me a chance the financial planner called Andrew Elson at Beaufort Financial Planning and I'll just be forever indebted to him for giving me the shot and he was that one person he was the person that everyone talks about how you just need one person to believe in you you just need to see how you can add value I wasn't asking for a handout I felt I was a I felt I was a great proposition for someone and I was surprised I hadn't been snapped up with others but <laughs> it's 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 hard it's hard for business owners to see sometimes an opportunity or they feel like they need to invest time and energy into training someone and you need to make it easy for them to and make them be able to see the benefits so you can immediately start adding value to the business rather than just looking for someone to train you and, and not being able to give anything back. It's a, that, that online offline divide is, it's a very important thing. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today, you know, sitting here and in, in the middle of the day on a weekday where, where I used to be sitting in a gray cubicle, staring at the, at the gray cubicle wall for uh, eight, nine, 10, 12 hours a day. And, um, it was me take, I made an online connection that gave me the faith to go to the first conference I ever went to for, um, it was a fine for financial blogging. It was in Chicago. And those connections that I made in person, you know, kept snowballing and growing over the following years and inspired me and taught me and led me to the path that I was able to leave my job two months ago and do this full time. So it wouldn't have happened at all without either you know, the online or the offline part. They're both so important. And it, you know, it used to be that you know, people were so you know, afraid to put anything about themselves online because of you know, creepy stalkers. And I guess there still are creepy stalkers there out there. But um, you know, being genuine with who you are, both online and offline, uh, it, it, marrying those two together it can really lead to some great opportunities. And um, you know, I don't. Neither of us would be where we are without the online and offline opportunities. Both. That's a. Uh, it's a cool thing. It really is, and you 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 can't ignore. You have to keep both of them going because we live in a we live in a, in the offline world essentially um, day to day. And even though the internet is amazing, and 
it there is always a real person behind the behind the avatar. I'd like to think that I'm a very good-looking person behind the uh, <laughs> Well, you, you and me both. So. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got the British accent, but I know that's like I was. The annoying uh, thing is, the annoying thing is that only works on the other side. <laughs> no one thinks that my accent is remarkable here. <laughs> I, I was. I thought it was great. I was when I was in. There's that last trip to London on the side of a bus. It was a big ad. I saw it a ton of times on those double decker buses. Everyone thinks of when they uh, think of London. It said there was a big advertisement for Las Vegas. And uh, I live I just got my private pilot license a couple of months ago. So I could actually go about 15 minutes from here, hop in a little plane, be in Las Vegas in two hours. So you know, not that far, maybe four or five hour drive in the car. And, um, Big advertisement for Las Vegas. It said, go to the one place in the world where your accent is an aphrodisiac. And, uh, <laughs> I got to kick out of that. <laughs> yeah, it's great. But again, it's that whole grass is always greener, isn't it? I lo- uh, it's always so interesting when Americans add this European premium with uh, with uh, Swedish mattresses and German engineering and uh, Italian foods and, and things and <laughs> it's just funny because we just because things seem more exotic when they're the further away. Well, do uh, we're all does the same thing happen the other way? Like if I were still in my single days, let's say for the single guys listening right now who live in the United States, if they were to hop on a plane to London, go out to a ministry of sound or fabric or one of the, you know, the cool hip nightclubs in <laughs> People don't talk like that about nightclubs anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, one of the so one of the groovy. big clubs in, uh, you know, totally groovy clubs in uh, in London. Um, does the American accent give you a little edge in with the girls there? Are they like, oh, just another loud, obnoxious American? <laughs> I think it does work, but I don't think it works as well as the other way around. I definitely. Um, <laughs> everyone found me hilarious in america everywhere i went well that's just because you're a funny guy i don't know if that has to well, do more with your accent you're, you're just a funny no, guy it, to hang out with <laughs> it's, oh well thank you very much but i think it definitely was the uh, the accent definitely does help a little bit more than the other way around which is a bit unfair but um hey i'm i'm on the winning side so it's all good I have to, to bring this wisconsin thing we talked about full circle i can't believe i'm about to admit this on the internet but i have once upon a time, seen this movie called Love Actually, that a bunch of girls and a bunch of friends that were girls, not girlfriends, <laughs> in college, like kind of twisted my arm into watching with them. And um, there's a part where this guy who's from England is having, he's just down in the pits. He's having trouble with dating. He can't, I think he gets dumped by his girlfriend or something. He's just having the worst of luck. And he says to his buddies, he said, You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to America. But I'm going to meet some beautiful girls <laughs> and they're going to fall in love with me just because of my accent. And they're going to think I'm dashing and handsome and it's all going to work out well. At the end of the movie, he uh, he gets on a plane to, of all places, I think it was Wisconsin. I don't know why I remember this. And um, he goes into a bar and he gets some crappy beer, like a Coors Light or a Bud Light or you know, some something that's so American. But um, America makes much better beers. Um, and he, he gets this crappy American beer and sits down. And three gorgeous women come up to him and essentially invite him over for a threesome just instantly. So, yeah, uh, that that hasn't happened to me, but it's uh, it's 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 uh, it's definitely definitely is funny. I went to um, this Renaissance fair in uh, Pennsylvania once, and I just ordered some some chowder, I think it was, and. Um, 
the the serving the people serving there was three girls and they just went you're from England <laughs> and, uh, and uh, I said yes I am actually yes thank you <laughs> so um yeah it's it's a good dynamic that's great so what um so what are you doing now with you know you have these fancy new credentials you're you've taken the exams um are you still working for the same guy who who went out on a whim and uh, and, and gave you a shot and what does your what's your plan look like? What what's next for for Adam Piplica in England? Well, I actually moved on from the guy who gave me that first shot um, just to progress. It was a relatively well, it was a very small company that I was working for, and I wanted to just gain more experience and move to a more technical role. Um, as an I'd got these um, credentials of the of the diploma. And I wanted to move to a para planning role. And a para planning role doesn't involve jumping out of aircraft with a parachute. <laughs> I don't actually... see any reason that I would ever jump out of a perfectly good airplane. I'd rather be driving it than jumping out of it. <laughs> well, this one, um, with para planning, it's essentially doing the work of a financial advisor without seeing the clients themselves. It allows a financial advisor to see more clients and to stop them from getting bogged down in a lot of the um, the detail that they that we need to when we're compiling a financial plan. So I moved to a company in York where I live. It's a little bit closer to where I, where, where I live. And I'm now in this power planning role. So I get to work with six or seven financial planners, financial advisors, and they come up to me with with different tasks like I might need to research a pension or a retirement vehicle here and might need to look at these investments there and need to make sure that the in investments are matching the the risk tolerances and I need to do research on the tax implications if someone wants to take some money out of a bond or they want to buy a house as the best to take the money because each different product has its own fine print essentially that impacts on the on the tax implications and other things like that. So it's it's really interesting that I get to see how six or seven different financial advisors work because each have their own different style. Some have an expertise in one area or another, and it's really just allowing me to to learn and makes me think when I'm a financial advisor. What am I going to take from the best of all these different financial advisors that I'm working on? But I'm also managing to stay in the creative space. They know that I'm um, relatively good at writing. I wouldn't say I'm a, a brilliant writer, but I do enjoy the, the creative outlet of writing. And I now <laughs> I offer to um, proofread the the client newsletter that we sent out. And that offer ended up leading to me being the editor of the new, of the newsletter now. So <laughs> it's quite it's quite fun that I, I get to decide on what kind of messaging articles are we going to include in in each month's newsletter. And uh, I enjoy that. But but the thing that's really gives me a warm feeling is I'm doing this writing and I'm doing this creative um, side of it based on something much bigger it's based on the substance of 
being in working in a financial planning practice and I know that the things that I'm writing about are going out to to clients who we're looking after their money we're looking after their financial future and it's all tied in together and that's what it's kind of what I what I wanted to do because if I if I just wanted to write I would I could just be writing on my on my website which I'm still doing by the way I'm still blogging at medicalpen.com and the next step further now that I've got these um, financial qualifications I want to go more in depth with this of that we're having a, a bit of a a weak connection here so sorry <laughs> listeners if you're, sorry listeners if you're hearing uh it's kind of choppy but um I, I still hear you kind of in and out Adam um but I think oh, okay I think with the uh with the, with the connection weakening um maybe we've had a had a good pause point until next time because i would love to chat with you again you have you know, some great insights and uh useful information and, and you're just, people just like to hear a british accent as you say so some more more british people on the show the better right <laughs> so um anyway if uh you know, again sorry to, to cut the cut cut it a little shorter but um i want to give everyone a uh well i'd love whether oh, you're broken out again here let's see if uh we can if we can get it long enough for you to tell everyone where they can find you and how they can connect with you. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I'd love to. You can find me at also on Twitter, Adam Piplica, A-D-A-M-P-I-P-L-I-C-A. So on Twitter as Magic. And I'm on Instagram as well for my Adam Piblica name as well. So thank you so much, Eric, for having me on. I'd love to come back again sometime. And definitely, I would say that you're an inspiration for staying profitable. Thank you. Thank you. And if, if, if anyone didn't catch uh, catch all those um, social media things and, and the website, those will all be in the show notes at the uh in the in the content um, on iTunes, you know, you click a little down arrow, you can see that, or you can just go to personalprofitability.com, open up the latest episode at personalprofitability.com/blog, and you'll see Adam's uh, Adam's bright shiny face there, and you can click through to his website or any of his social channels. So, uh, you know, thank you so much, Adam, for for being here with us, and uh, thank you, listeners. Um, even though there was there was a little choppiness here at the end uh, for listening and, and being a part of, of Adam's story and um, and definitely go check out his stuff and you know thank you as always for me for for being here and listening if you enjoy the show if you enjoy um, lots of episodes please the biggest favor you could do to me the only way that um, that I ask you to pay anything is by just sharing it with a friend uh, that's the only uh, only PR that I do for this show is word of mouth I don't do any other advertising. And if you uh, enjoyed it and think it's uh, it earned a five-star review, hop on to iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to your podcasts and uh, and drop that review. And if you don't think I got a five-star worthy um, review, you know, send me an email, eric at personalprofitability.com. Let me know what I can do better, what you would like to listen to. And um, we'll, we'll always uh, keep making the show better and greater and have more guests just like Adam Piplica who has joined us. So Adam, are you still out there? Can you uh, want to say goodbye to everybody? <laughs> yes, I am still here. And, and I look forward to hearing from you.
Great. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you again so much, Adam. And for everybody out there in the personal profitability universe, I'll talk to you soon. But until next time, stay profitable. Thanks for listening to the Personal Profitability Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating on iTunes or share it with a friend.